to a very special episode of 444 is the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is John Paulson. Uh, Anthony Stalter has the week off. Uh, it's a special episode because we're going to talk Packers uh, post-mortem after the loss to the, the Buccaneers. Uh, we're going to talk that at the first half of a, the podcast, and then towards the end we're going to discuss some 2021 early rankings. Uh, my guest today is... Uh, is the Fantasy Pro's most accurate expert of 2020. He finished first this year. I finished fourth, just let everybody know. Uh, Pat finished first. Pat Fitzmorris, uh, one of my good friends on Twitter. Uh, he listens to me during a gripe about the Packers during uh, the games when I DM him. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Uh, welcome to the show, Pat. John, uh, great to be here with you, man. Uh, misery loves company, and I can't think of any company with whom I'd rather be miserable than you, I guess. Oh, so, well, th- uh, <laughs> thanks for no, saying that. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm going to miss our weekly DMs, but uh, you know, this is a good way to, to wrap it all up, I guess. Well, I'm sure we're, we'll discuss the free agency moves and the draft as that happens, so there will be some Packer-related uh, DM content, I think, coming up. This summer, but uh, we're basically going to go through the the game, uh, some of the key moments. We're going to discuss Aaron Rodgers' post game comments, uh, what that means for him, him and his future, and the future of the team, um, uh, and also discuss the Packer free agency situation, uh, cap space, and who they may resign, who they probably won't resign. And then in the uh, after this is done, we'll we'll discuss some early twenty twenty one fantasy rankings. So if you just are here for some fantasy content, you can skip ahead. Uh, if you hear me crying or Pat crying or yelling, uh, you can just keep sk- hitting that 15-second button until you get to the to the fantasy content. So um, let's get started. Uh, the Bucks game uh, was disappointing in the first half. I think it was sort of a tale of two halves. The offense played fairly consistently throughout the game in terms of you know the quality of uh, you know of good plays or big plays in the first half and the second half, but the defense was a, a big difference um, in the second half. 234 total yards for the Bucks in the first half, 116 total yards for the Bucks in the second half. Uh, conversely, the Packers had 189 yards in the first half and 193 yards in the second half. So it was basically that late first half where. To me, the Scotty Miller touchdown late in the game uh, that was preceded by uh, the interception, which may or may not have been, well, it was a hold, but wasn't called. Uh, that Miller touchdown really put them you know, in a bind. And then coming out at halftime, I'm sure we, you and I were both in the same, same uh, frame of mind. I think they were down 11 at halftime, uh, came out. Aaron Jones had a fumble on the big hit. The Bucks scored a touchdown, and they're down 18. What was your to this point? What are your thoughts on the game, and what was your state of mind after they were, you know fell down 18? Yeah, that was. Uh, I I think maybe I DM'd you ball game after mm-hmm. that uh, that that score to put them up 18. Like I do think that was the the key swing end of the first half start of the second half and I think um you know even LaFleur said that in the locker room afterwards just you know that the horrible sequence there the the bad end of the first half and the start to the second half um 
point, it was it was really odd to see that happen to Aaron Jones. Um, and, and I know, like, I'm not expecting him to necessarily make Jordan Whitehead miss on that play. Um, you know, he did get the ball in space, but Whitehead was kind of bearing down, and I don't think um, he really had time to gather the ball and do anything with it, make any sort of evasive maneuver, uh, as we've seen him do kind of on those you know, one-on-one situations out wide all season long. Um, but it was just so odd to see Aaron Jones sort of get just completely blown up like that, not only fumbling, um, but also hurt. I mean, Jordan Whitehead just demolished him on that play. Hats off to Whitehead. Um, and it wasn't his first fumble of the game. We had seen that one earlier, earlier in the first half where uh, Robert Tunyon pounced on it very alertly but um yeah so that was pretty bad and uh you know right before the scotty miller touchdown having will redmond our our dime defensive back let an interception go i don't know if he got the sun in his eyes because it looked like he sort of short-armed the ball at the last second when you know one of several lollipop balls that brady threw in that game you know that should have been another interception but wasn't um yeah, and then I, I guess we can talk about the decision to play single high safety man coverage there with 38 yards, uh, eight seconds. I mean, were they was Petten so hell bent on trying to take away the five yard, eight yard out, and uh, prevent a field goal attempt there? I, I, it just seems like a strange decision to make and I, I know Lafleur didn't like that call either yeah and well maybe we'll talk about Petten a little bit but his contract apparently is up and there has been no word if he's coming back or not but I think the assumption from Packer fans is that he won't uh, based on the defensive performance however they were pretty good in the second half um, after this touchdown uh, the Cameron Bray touchdown was I mean they didn't even they didn't even cover him but after that they went Several drives, uh, no points for the Bucks. The Packers crawled back in to the game with with two touchdown drives. And I remember DMing with you about this too. There was just like almost no sense of urgency. They were taking it down to three or two or you know one second on the on the play clock pretty consistently. And that's fine if you're going to go down and score touchdowns, but. We, we saw later in the game where they had a couple of three and outs and they could have really used an extra drive, you know, an extra couple of minutes uh, in the game to get one more drive and one more chance to win the game. Um, I give them credit for, for clawing their way back into the game. That showed a lot of heart and um, gumption and execution. And um, the, the issue, though, like we, we were probably blaming the defense for the, the situation that the Packers were in, um, but then – Brady throws back-to-back, you know, back-to-back drives are ended or finished with one of his interceptions, uh, and it, they're followed by three and outs. And it's the offense now that has, um, you know, kind of stuck in the mud and unable to move the ball downfield and, and score points. So towards that fourth quarter, and what was your – I mean, how frustrated were you <laughs> maybe on that – maybe that first three and outs – understandable after two really long drives but that's sec- you know you get another Brady interception and then you go three and out again we're punting again 
what's your state of mind there? Yeah, frustrated for sure. Um, and just to backtrack on the defense, so this wasn't like the NFC Championship game against Atlanta a few years ago where the defense just couldn't do anything right. I mean, to, to the credit of the Packers' defense, they did a hell of a job stopping the run, um, you know, other than the, the Fournette touchdown. That was the only big running play Tampa Bay had all day, and that was pretty much just a, a great individual effort by Fournette. But... Um, stopped the run well and actually did okay against the pass for the most part on first and second down throughout the game. It was just third and long was just so nightmarish for them that whole game. Um, yeah, I, it was frustrating to see those drives uh, quickly short circuit when it seemed like we had all the momentum going. The defense makes those stops. Um, I know at least one of those drives was... Um, a play where Alan Lazard got a jersey tug from Sean Murphy Bunting, Bunting Murphy, whatever it is, I can't remember. Um, you know, the the call that Kevin King gets later on. So, um, yeah, that kind of that kind of was disappointing. Maybe, you know, an extended drive through a penalty is kind of would have been just what the doctor ordered there for those two short-circuited drives. But, uh yeah, it wasn't to be, and, and obviously eight is not not a good number to be down at that point, you know. And uh, the uh, I don't know the the missed opportunity later on by uh, Equinemius St. Brown on the two point conversion certainly wasn't. Large, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it was state of mind. So. To, to, to sum it up, your state of mind wasn't great after the, <laughs> the two, three and outs. <laughs> no. uh, I no. just want to – one interesting thing about the follow-up drive to the, after the second three and out, we got the, – the, the Bucks get the ball back with 8-10 left in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Ronald Jones, uh, three-yard run, uh, pass to Godwin for 11 yards. Okay, so that's a first down there on the um, 42-yard line. Ronald Jones uh, stuffed for negative one yards. Kamal Martin – um, probably our best linebacker this year, the inside linebacker anyway. Um, fifth rounder from last year, I believe. Uh, Tom Brady, pass complete short right to Rob Gronkowski for 29 yards. That was a backbreaker because that got him into field, long field goal range and that put the put the lead from five to eight. Um, and so now you're down eight. You know, it would have been... Six, if if Equinemius St. Brown had held on to that pass, uh, and there were other drops. I mean, Devonte Adams had a, a drop early in the game that would have, that cost us four points. Um, and you know, there's with these drops, it's it's I mean, not so much Devonte because he's basically carried the offense, to, you know, the passing game. But St. Brown being on the field when maybe you could have had a, a T. Higgins there, we can get into the draft with with Jordan Love and that. A little bit later, but you know, I, I saw people saying, "Well, the, the receivers weren't the reason that the the Packers lost." And uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling did did play well. Um, Lazard played pretty well, although he didn't make the same read that Rodgers did on one of his slants near the goal line, and the ball basically went over his head. He didn't even make a play on it. Um, so a couple of, uh, and then the St. Brown drop in the end zone, um, just a maybe one weapon lap lacking in this passing game. Um, 
maybe cost them an, a, a chance to maybe one maybe one of these three and out drives maybe extends further with a little bit more talent at receiver. That's just one thought I had when I saw people saying, "Well, it wasn't the receivers that was a fault." I mean, look at Valdez Cantling; he had a great game. Well, yeah, but there's no there's no telling what the score would have been if if T Higgins you know would have been in the lineup um, instead of Jordan Love on the inactive list. So there's that. And then we get into the eight-point deficit. The Packers, are it's do or die at this point. They get the ball back at, with under five minutes to play, and they kind of have, have a long drive again. Takes up, eats up some time off the clock. Um, a deep pass to MVS for 29 yards. A.J. Dillon had a run for nine yards, just kind of kick off the drive. Uh, he he, uh, Rodgers uh, completes a pass to Devontae Adams for 11 yards in there at the Tampa 8. Um, a couple of short, I think that was the where the Lazard wasn't paying attention or didn't read, make the same read Rodgers did. Uh, incomplete pass, another incomplete pass for Devontae. And then the third and eight play, which has gone under much review on Twitter. I even did my own review of it, but it looked to me like Rodgers had Adams, had he pulled the trigger earlier in that play. He had just broken a tackle. So I think maybe he was off balance and didn't feel super comfortable um, throwing it. I think if he had had a clean pocket in that situation, he probably would have found Devontae because Devontae beat his man and had uh, a clear lane into the end zone if, if Rodgers fires it in there. But he hesitated, kind of double-clutched. Then he was trying to decide, I think, whether or not – I don't think he was really thinking run, um, but he was trying to extend the play and he was – getting pressure from behind. So he tried to force it into his best receiver. Um, and it, it was it fell incomplete. And then of course the, the field goal uh, attempt. So walk us through that play, the third and eight play. And then what did you think of the field goal decision? Yeah, you sent me a, a still photo of Adams starting to break free towards the center of the end zone. And said you know in your dm like this is where rogers needed to get rid of the ball and you were exactly right i mean roger adams was kind of breaking into the clear against two stationary um guys who looked like they were kind of back in zone it would have been the, the right time for him to get rid of it on the run um i kind of thought what you thought at first it looked like he could have made it then when i saw that play again um, I, I thought not. I thought maybe, you know, either one of the two guys near the goal line gets him or possibly the um, the guy who was closer to the center of the field. I thought yes. he might have had an angle on Rodgers. But either way, Rodgers picks up some yardage, right? Even if he mm-hmm. doesn't get in, he gets to the two or even to the five. And it maybe changes the math a little bit on whether you go for it. And now, uh, like, I found it interesting that someone had, it was posted in a couple of spots that they thought, based on the win probabilities, that it was actually the right call there, that you had, like, a a 2% better win probability, like 27% versus 25% kicking the field goal. But I, I just wonder if those are based on, you know, generic game situations for other teams and you know, does that factor in that you've got one of the great quarterbacks of all time trying to be the one to pick up the fourth and eights, fourth and goal at the eights, 
does it factor in a, a defense that hasn't been able to, you know, consistently get stops all game? So um, I, I was definitely surprised, and I just kind of knew in my heart that when the field goal team trotted out that we weren't ever going to see the ball again. Yeah, I think the thinking was get him within five. Uh, that that puts into play a, a win in regulation, whereas you're probably not looking at that if you go for it and score, and you, now you need also need the two-point conversion. And... You, you know, start to, and then you have to stop them from getting down the field for a field goal. Um, you start adding up all those percentages, and then you compare it to the the field goal situation. But I agree, if Brady going versus a, versus a Rogers, and then just like what sort of franchise or team, you know, what offense is this? Like this is, you know, I think Rogers was assuming he was going to have that play. I think when the when the field goal was attempted, he was surprised that that was the decision and so I think it sounded like he was calling the plays at that point and his third down play might have been affected by the fact that he didn't know that he didn't have a fourth down play if that makes sense so I think he thought he had two chances at the at the goal or at the at the end zone that's what he said in his post-game interview um, sure. so I mean I don't you know I could see what the numbers possibly say that it's a um, I mean I don't think it was as clear of a call as you know what Twitter made it out to be. Uh, you know I don't think it was that bad of a decision. I mean there are definitely pathways where it works out. Um, I just you know if you fail or if you kick the field goal and all you have to do is stop Tom Brady from getting a first down or two. I don't know if that's a good bet, um, especially with the way the defense had played, or at least as inconsistent it had been throughout the the game. Um, so. You know, maybe they maybe they can slow t- the, the Bucks down and, and keep them out of field goal range if if it's a tie game, but you know, not getting two inter- you know two first downs or not getting one first down, it was pretty close to where they needed to stop them from even getting one first down. Um, not a, not a, maybe not a great bet uh, with the defense that we had on the field. So I didn't really kill them for that decision. Although you know, at that point, if if Rogers really thinks that they should go for it then I, he, I don't know why you can't put his foot down um, at that point and make a stand um, but that put that puts LaFleur in a tough spot where they probably have to take a timeout to figure out the play call once they're done arguing about what to do what do you think right yeah you you can't burn a timeout to talk about it there because you need the timeouts if, if you are going to go with the if you call a timeout then you have to go for it that's automatically. Yeah. But then if you don't get it, you still like to have a, a, all three of your timeouts in your pocket. So, um, you know, even if you go for it and don't get it, you still technically have a chance because you've got them buried deep and maybe you can get the ball back at midfield. Um, yeah, so I, I know. Like, I don't think it was just jaw-droppingly awful, but I, I didn't really like the call. That's just not the way I would have gone. But I'm like you. I, I'm not killing Lafleur for it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So they obviously lose the game. We don't need to go into the Bucks' final drive, which is I don't, well. I guess we should talk about it. I think the frustrating thing for Packer fans is not that Kevin uh, King was called for 
holding or pass interference on that play, but that it just wasn't super consistent throughout the game. And and I get the I get the argument that the tugs and jersey pulls on some of the kind of drive deciding plays for the Packers. You know, there's at least three or four of them where there's an incompletion or there's an interception and the whole Packer team is standing around looking like, what the fuck, you know, like where's the call and it doesn't get, there's no flag. And you look at the replay and there's a, there's a clear Jersey tug, but it's not to the level of what King did um, on that game, on that last play uh, to give them the first down uh, to Tyler Johnson. So, I don't. I was certainly not arguing that it wasn't a flag. It did take a long time to come out of the pocket, and from the angle of where the, you know, the TV cameras, the, the main broadcast cameras, it didn't look as bad as it did when you looked at it from other angles and you saw the the, the jersey being pulled two or three feet behind uh, Tyler Johnson. Um, so I think that's where a lot of the frustration came from Packer fans because we're all sort of waiting. The guy kind of trips. We didn't really see the jersey pull. And then all of a sudden a flag comes in and we're like, you know, this is a game. This is a season-deciding play. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration for, for Packer fans uh, laid. And that was also with where, you know, the call's not going the, the, you know, the other way, uh, going the same way. So... Um, I don't want to hear about Packers getting every call again because that's that's a common refrain from 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 Twitter. Uh, did you have any issue with the the, the pass interference call um, or you know how late it came or anything like that? No, I think it was a penalty. I just it, it was basically the exact same thing that Sean uh, Murphy Bunting had done twice earlier to Lazard, and um, you know there was also the the missed. Devin White face mask of Aaron Jones early in the game on a, a play that could have given them. I, I think that was almost like a, a. I'm trying to remember if that was like a little dump off pass on a third and long that you know would have given the Packers new life on a drive early in the game. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of disappointing that there wasn't consistency with the calls, but it it was a flag, and I guess like. That's not one of the things. I, I wasn't outraged by it. Um, you know, all in all, it wasn't like a horribly officiated game, but it was basically tough to swallow with uh, the Bucks having gotten away with that same kind of play. Can I just add one other thing before we move on? To, sure. Well, maybe sure. two two quick things. Um, like, obviously a bad game for King, and it was kind of strange that like, I didn't expect King to even play after he missed practice on Friday. You know, as fantasy guys, we know that the Friday DNP almost always means they're not playing on Sunday, and King did play. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been interesting to see if Josh Jackson would have done any better. Um, but then again, like, I guess everyone except Jair Alexander, who had, you know, another phenomenal game, uh, had their lapses in the secondary, that, that Darnell Savage failure to you know, get the jump ball with Godwin uh, in the second quarter. I mean, that was a killer, a, a third and nine when the, the Bucks have it at their own 28, I believe, and wind up getting a 50-yard gain on a third and nine. That was a killer. For some reason, that play, I think, is the one that's gone through my mind the most last week. But we also didn't really get a great pass rush on Brady throughout the game. I mean, Rashawn Gary was putting some pressure on. He was terrific. Um, you know, the, the Smiths. 
Zadarius and Preston didn't have great games. And, um, you know, I wonder if they missed Kingsley Kiki a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if he was even mentioned during the broadcast, but that was, I don't know, for my money, he was maybe the most improved player for the Packers this year. Um, you know, and, and not having him and having the uh, the Northwestern bookends at, at defensive ends, uh, <laughs> not the not the strength of the defense by any means. So that, that might have hurt a little bit. But the one thing you mentioned earlier um, I would push back on just a little bit is I don't know if that was so much a Devontae Adams drop, that one earlier in the game. Like, yeah, he maybe could have caught it, but he was kind of going to the ground. It probably wasn't, you know, the, the best throw of the game for Rodgers. Like, I think if that's kind of within the frame of his body, Adams comes down with that catch. But, you know, it was on him kind of fast. It was a little bit outside. Um, I guess it's the kind of play where he's so used to seeing Devontae make that it seems like a drop. But I think I would at least assign equal blame to Rodgers on that play. Yeah, I agree. That wasn't a drop. That wasn't a drop in the traditional sense. But that's a play that you expect Devontae to make. I think is is even though the, yes. the throw wasn't perfect, he would normally nine times out of ten make that catch. So I could tell he was frustrated True. after after the play. So that cost us four points as well. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Rogers' post game comments. He basically, you know, just was talking about you know how his future isn't or he's he's along with a lot of other players on the team. The future isn't certain. He doesn't have control of his own future and. This turned into a giant, you know, where is where's the best landing spot for Aaron Rodgers? And, you know, where is he going to force a trade to and, and and all this? And then the next day on the Pat McAfee show, McAfee or Mac- McAfee? I don't know what his McAfee. last name is. McAfee. Um, basically just said, no, I, I saw there was a hullabaloo about it. I, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't be here next year. Um, it's just, you know, right after a loss, you know, things are tough and, just kind of thinking about your future and you know i would love to retire a packer um but not everybody um can control that and i think that jordan love pick has really thrown his you know his security up in the air and there's the argument that that has motivated him to have an mvp season and that's possible um i don't know if i don't know how accurate that is or if it's more he's a lot more comfortable in the second year with matt lafleur and we, we had a pretty good you know Robert Tunyon emerged and Waldis Scantling had a pretty good season and um, the running game was doing well. And Devante is like number one receiver in the league. I don't know if, if it's so much motivation because of the Jordan love pick, or if it's, it just, you know, those stars aligned for the, for the offense. And he had a great, a great year. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, go ahead. Um, but I don't see him forcing his way out of green Bay at this point. I think the Packers give him the best chance to go to one or two or more Super Bowls. It just seemed like this was a golden opportunity with the home game against, uh, the bucks, uh, in the NFC championship game, getting through the whole season without any big COVID scares and basically had the, had the Super Bowl on a platter. I don't know that they go there and beat the chiefs, but it would be nice to see Rogers play in at least one more Super Bowl. What do you think? Yeah, and we talked about this. I mean, the fact that both of us have sons about the same age who were too young to, you know, be alert for the first. They were alive, but still very young for the last Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl. Um, 
you know, it would have been great. I, having sports mad sons as we do, you know, I've got a, a son who watches NFL Network while he eats breakfast before school every day. Um, <laughs> would have been great to have that. And, and now who knows if it's going to happen again. Um, I do think it was less about maybe the motivation for Rodgers. I, I think it was more about buy-in to the LaFleur system. And it's not, that makes me sound like a LaFleur fanboy, but um, I, I do think Rodgers was maybe a little stubborn about bypassing some of the easy, short completions that the LaFleur offense designed for him last year. And this year he sort of gave himself over to it and took those completions when they were presented to him. And, um, you know, I think that was part of his rebound. I I think it's just, I don't know, the motivation thing always gets me. Like, I'm sure maybe that drove his work between games or his film study or whatever, but it's hard to think that when he's got Ndamukong Sue bearing down on him that he's thinking, you know, stupid Gudikins not getting me a receiver, I'll show him. You know, you're... You're running for your life and you're <laughs> trying to make calculations about, you know, three different go through your progressions and make your reads like it's hard to, uh, you know, be thinking about how angry you are at the front office at that moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, like obviously I, I guess maybe this can segue into our beefs with the uh, draft this year. But, yeah, you just wonder, like, I don't know. A lot of people we follow on Twitter who are, you know, maybe decidedly more pro-organization than we are at times said, you know, the draft wasn't why we lost this game. Maybe, maybe not. Um, you never know when when a, a piece, you know, maybe a defensive end, a 3-4 defensive end could have helped you out. Um yeah, like you said, a, a T. Higgins, someone who who can make a play that's maybe someone else doesn't make. Um, yeah, it it it's tough, man. This was a tough loss. Not like the Seattle loss, no. but um, yeah, nothing's nothing's ever going to be that hard. But <laughs> yeah, this one this one was definitely uh, it's going to stay with me a little while. Yeah, the Seattle loss was the it was completely there. We had the game won. I say we. The Packers had the game won, and everything that could go wrong went wrong in the final few minutes and, you know, lost the game. And the, and the resulting Super Bowl is the only time I've ever rooted for the Patriots in a game. <laughs> um, <laughs> same, same. Uh, this one was more like, oh, boy, halftime, it's rough. Oh, coming out of half, it's, you know, we're down 18. We're, not, we're probably not going to win this game. Um, so you sort of come to grips with it and then you get the hopes up and then the game is within reach and then you, you lose. <laughs> it's fairly tough as well. You get your hopes up and you lose again, but you sort of have come to the real, you start thinking about, okay, well, they're not going to win this year. So what's, what's in the future for them? So speaking of Rogers, you know, he has talked about playing into his forties. Um, but you know, what is he 37 right now? Um, at this level of play that he showed this year, how many more years do you think he has left as like a top five, top 10 NFL quarterback? Boy, it's hard to put a, you know, I want to say, 
I want to say two or three, um, but that's that might be an underestimation. I mean, like that's uh, you know, if if you're taking the cold actuarial look at it, I mean, that's probably where you're betting. But I mean, look at uh, you know that that plucky young kid Tom Brady, and and aren't we happy to see him go back to the Super Bowl? Um, still playing at a high level, and and that's the thing, like the age cliff comes differently for different guys. And we saw Peyton Manning slam into the wall um, uh-huh. abruptly. And, you know, I think Drew Brees was kind of hitting the wall. We had talked about that. I, I talked about that to you after the um, divisional game between the Bucks and Saints where I was kind of cursing Jared Cook because I really wanted the Saints. Like, I didn't think Drew Brees was beating the Packers in Lambeau. And, um, you know, I, whereas I thought Brady had a chance. Um, so different guys age differently i do think we are already kind of seeing rogers start to lose the running dimension like he's still kind of a a sneaky runner who can pick up the first down or or score the occasional touchdown if you know the the defense sort of breaks down but um you know there's no discernible loss of arm strength as we've seen with Breeze or even Brady at times. I mean, we certainly saw Brady throw some moon balls this past game. Um, so he could very well keep playing effectively till he's 41, 42. I mean, the guess is two and a half more good years, but um, yeah, it, it could be more than that. And it's going to be an interesting dilemma for the organization. Yeah, I think that just his his response this year or his season this year, I'm just looking at his numbers, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, one thing I've noticed with him is that the yards per attempt has really fallen off over the last six years, but it was back up at 8.2 this year. And that's, I think just the cohesiveness of the offense um, really working with one great receiver. Uh, his career average is 7.8, but back in the you know 2010 to 20, actually 20, 2009 to 2014, he was up over eight yards per attempt in all but one season. Um, I think the maybe the the Jordan Love pick last year was a response to maybe the organization thinking, you know, 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, seven yards per attempt you know, 250, 250 yards per game. Maybe it's, he's still good, but maybe it's the the end is closer than we think, or maybe that we thought heading into this season. And then he turns around and does this. And to me, the notion, number one, that he would like want to go to San Francisco after San Francisco drafted Alex Smith over him. I know it's a different, totally different regime, but I can't imagine that he's going to go reward the, the, that franchise after, what he, you know, what he perceives they put him through on draft day. Um, the Colts was the other one I saw. Just for him to go and start over with a new team and a new offense and a new head coach, it seems counterproductive to what he's trying to do, which is win another Super Bowl. So I think the Packers give him the best chance to do that. And I don't know what sane person in the Packers organization would be pushing for Jordan Love to start after the season that Rodgers had. I mean, Super Bowl or uh, regular season likely MVP, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions, his career high in completion percentage, um, back up over eight yards per attempt. 
and you're even you're even considering life after him like just whatever five more years lock him up trade love if you have to or just sit on love um rogers gives you the best chance to win uh and i think he's also one that where he maybe he can't escape and and uh, make plays uh down you know you know downfield with his legs if they were to invest more in the offensive line and really provide great protection, he could become a, a, a pocket passer and only have to scramble here and there. I think he'd be very effective in that sort of an offense as well. Um, if he's willing to get rid of the ball a little bit sooner, which has always been a kind of a bugaboo of his. So to me, I don't get it. I don't get the, let's, let's talk about the Packers after Rogers. We don't need to, I don't think you should. And, um, if he go if he goes into his meetings and says, "Look, we just need to try to win now," I showed you I can play at a high level. Um, you know, let's let's do a five year window and let's go for it and see what we see what happens. I mean, that would be the approach I would take. It's not like the reports out of camp about love are good. I mean, the guy's not even the backup on game day as a first round pick, and okay, maybe it takes a while for him, but. That just says he's not ready, and so why would you even consider it after the season Rodgers had? Yeah, the people who defend the love pick always say that you can't judge the pick until you see what kind of NFL quarterback um, love is going to be. But where that logic falls short is that the value in drafting a quarterback early is that you get him on his rookie contract and it makes it easier to build around him. Like, you know, with the Rams, when the Rams thought Jared Goff might be a, a reasonably decent NFL starter, you know, they were able to go out and get make these moves to really build up the defense. Um, you know, it, basically it, it leaves you so much room to maneuver. We saw it with Russell Wilson in Seattle and, and mm-hmm. all the roster building that Seattle was able to do pretty much everywhere, but, but their offensive line, I guess, um, you know, you can go out these and get all these pieces when you have a quarterback playing in a cheap contract. But if you weren't planning to cut the cord with Rogers pretty quickly and just sort of, you know, have, love continue on into his you know third year fourth year before he even gets a look and then you're basically deriving no benefit from that cheap contract and ultimately you've just wasted a first round pick yeah and we've discussed one player that was available there t higgins i remember going into the bottom of the first round just watching these receivers get plucked off you know Ayuk and uh, Justin Jefferson and um, CeeDee Lamb and uh, Henry Ruggs and you know just seeing who's going to be available there at the bottom of that first round and um, the guy that kept jumping out at me was T Higgins and then Michael Pittman was another one you know either one of them would have been a pretty good first round pick there for the Packers but they traded up to get love and that put this whole situation I don't know if they're doing that thinking that they're gonna. I don't know if they're doing that, not understanding what the media and what fans and what Rodgers is going to think of that pick, or if they're just like, well, he's a. We think he's going to be a franchise quarterback, so we thought it was a great pick, and you know, it maybe he doesn't help the team this year, but you know, down the line he will. Um, but there's a lot. It's not this pick's not happening in a vacuum. I mean, it, 
it's the opportunity cost of not having T. Higgins out there uh, this year, uh, or whoever else you want to draft. I mean, maybe another cornerback would have been the difference in this game with with Kevin King not having a good game. So, so just with the draft, and then if we do keep Rodgers for, I keep saying we, uh, as if I have any part of this. Uh, if the Packers do keep Rodgers uh, for another three or plus seasons, they have to they have to draft well. Uh, they can't afford. He's not doing the Tom Brady where he's taking a lot less money because he's not even the um, breadwinner in his own house uh, like Brady is isn't. Um, <laughs> Brady, <laughs> you know, took discounts on his salary and that helped the the Patriots win. And that's one thing you can point to is probably a lot of the Patriots' success uh, belongs to Giselle. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I said it. So if you if you're a Patriots fan, you made it this far. You. That's that's what I mean. It's not Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. It's uh, Giselle. So, um, I digress. The uh, Gutenkust is that the right way to pronounce his name? Goody. I don't. I'm not up there in the uh, the Green Bay media, so I don't. Gutekunst. Gutekunst. Okay. Um, I sent you a long list of his draft picks. We don't have to go through everything, but I I updated it for this year. The 2018 draft. He took over in January 2018. Um, the 2018 draft. Uh, Jair Alexander in the first round, so he nailed that pick. He obviously has turned into one of the best cornerbacks, if not the best cornerback um, in the league. Uh, so that it's always good to nail your first round pick, as maybe he learned uh, in 2020. <laughs> um, Josh Jackson in the second round, uh, not great. Uh, Oren Burks, not great right now. He's still with the team, but not great. Jamon Moore, cut. Uh, Cole Madison, cut. J.K. Scott is, is punting for them. Uh, in the fifth round, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling fifth round. So he's still, I would say the jury's still out on him. He's he made some steps forward, but extremely inconsistent game to game, uh, even target to target. <laughs> he'll have a horrible bounce, uh, drop and then he'll make a great catch. It's, it's really befuddling, but he's so fast that, uh, um, that's why he's on the field is that speed really stretches the defense. Equinemius St. Brown, sixth round, uh, he's been struggling with injuries and then some seventh rounders. You're not really expecting uh, to do much. The 2019 draft has been interesting as I've watched it over the last year, Rashawn Gary, who I know you were down on. If you want to talk about him a little bit, once I get done with this draft, uh, he was the first round pick. He was 50th out of 124 edge uh, rushers at, according to pro, uh, pro football focus with uh, edge rushers that have at least 20% of the snaps. He was also top 20 in pressure percentage amongst, amongst uh, edge rushers. That is, um, pass rush snaps um, and pre- you know pressures divided by pass rush snaps. So he's coming on and he's actually playing better than Preston Smith, who we're giving 16 million a year to, and, and he's under contract for another year or two. Um, Darnell Savage, so he's turned into a starter. He was 10th out of 99 safeties in PFF grade. Uh, El- Elkin Jenkins, who has been bouncing around between guard and center, uh, probably will replace Corey Lindsley uh, at center. And we can talk a little bit about the free agency here as well, but Jenkins probably moves to center. He's been pretty good, 25th out of 92 guards uh, at PFF in terms of the grade. Jay Sternberger um, didn't hasn't panned out yet. It doesn't really matter because Tunyon did. Uh, Kiki, who you mentioned earlier, he's 44th out of 139 defensive interior players at PFF. Um, and then, a, 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 you know, some 6th and 7th rounders, nothing major going there. So you want to talk a little bit about Gary before I move into the 2020 draft? Yeah, kind of a mea culpa there for me. I mean, he 
maybe was a guy who, to me, it it seemed like he was being drafted on his athleticism, was kind of a combine guy, Uh, you know, had arguably been the second best defensive end at Michigan. And now I'm uh, drawing a blank on the guy, the the Patriots. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'll think of it eventually. But um, I'll look it up. You know, he he has come on. I mean, Gary looked terrific at times uh, this year and and just really is physically a a beast. And, um, you know, now I think he's an above-average starter. So I have to to concede that, you know, that, that pick has panned out pretty well. And all in all, I mean, his 2018 draft does look better and better. I think Darnell Savage made some pretty big strides. I thought he was okay as a rookie. And, um, you know, now I think he's a, a, at least slightly above average starter at safety. Jenkins is one of the best young offensive linemen in the league. I mean, he's fantastic. And, uh, you know, Kiki gave them one pretty good three, four defensive end this year. So that draft looks pretty good. Um, you know, 2018, I do give him props for that Jair Alexander pick. I know a lot of Packer fans wanted Derwin James at the time and were kind of dismayed when they saw the trade card go up in the draft. Like, you know, what Derwin James fell to us and we're passing on him. And uh, But he moved back, got the first rounder from the Saints, picked Alexander, who's been phenomenal. And, um, you know, I, I think part of – we might have used – somehow that trade – that pick they picked up was involved in the trade up to get Savage the next year, I think. Um, I can't quite remember the the sequencing of that, but yeah, so kind of a mixed bag right now with him on the drafts. I think, you know, 2018, eh, uh, 2019 good, and uh, 2020 looks like, I mean, I I think it's going to be a whiff. (laughs) <laughs> no matter what, it's you know it's it's just going to be hard to overcome the the love maneuvering and the H back in the third round and you know maybe we'll feel better about AJ Dillon after next year but um, yeah I just did not like this year's draft at all. Yeah, going through it, Jordan Love in the first um, usually was inactive on game day reportedly struggling with accuracy on just like stationary targets in practice. So things aren't looking great on that front. And I think for that pick to pay off, he's basically has to be a Super Bowl caliber, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback because we're throwing this whole franchise into flux for this in order to draft this guy. And it ha- he eventually, ha- and that's a lot of pressure to put on him, you know. He might eventually be the starter for the Packers, but for that to be your bar really to, to justify it, even moving on from Rogers two or three years early, that's a huge opportunity cost too. You know, look at what Brady's doing at 43, whatever he is. Sure. Um, the, uh, just to get back to your Michigan defensive end, Chase Winovich. Winovich. Yes. Thank guy. you. Third, that would have driven me insane. I'm sure there were um, people screaming at their, uh, listening to this and, and screaming out his name. So, Thank you. I, don't, I think everybody's pretty mellow right now. Uh, <laughs> not screaming. 
Uh, yeah, the the H back Deguara got injured in the you know third rounder, gave up the fourth rounder to trade up to get Love. So we end up with uh, Kamal Martin in the fifth round, and he was actually he had six starts for the Packers this year. He was seventeenth out of one hundred eighty four line, linebackers uh, at PFF. Um, he was the top graded linebacker with on one hundred ninety snaps this year, but he had some injuries and didn't play as much as uh, you know maybe we had hoped. Or but he could he's one that could take over that uh, that role. Um, so that is a possibility. Uh, John Runyon, um, no starts. Uh, Jake Hansen, no starts. Uh, a guard, Stepanek, uh, no starts. So not a lot coming out of this draft yet. Um, I think there was a tweet where D- Dylan and Martin were the only two players that had any snaps for the for the Packers in the playoffs this year, um, which I guess is not a complete you know whiff, but. Um, we're going to have to see. I think the Dylan pick is looking more and more interesting as the salary cap uh, looms large here with the Aaron Jones free agency. Um, it, using a franchise tag on him might not even be possible. The Packers are negative $27 million in the in the cap. So um, I, I reached out to uh, the Packer cap expert, Ken Ingalls, and he basically said, I'm not expecting a scenario where either of those guys, and that's, Jones and Lindsley are back in Green Bay in 2021 unless the salary cap is unexpectedly higher than anticipated. And I don't think that with all this COVID, um, this COVID season and the revenue not coming in for, from tickets, that the cap would rise much, if at all. And then I mentioned the fra- franchise tag, and he, he said, I don't think they use their franchise tags uh, this year. So we're probably saying goodbye to Aaron Jones. And he was the one runner. I don't know, in my lifetime that could break a 50, 60 yard run for the Packers and was good for it every few games where he would have a game changing run. He's so slippery between the tackles. He takes punishment, but gets back up. He's perfect for this offense because he can catch the ball as well as run it. Um, so we're, we're looking at life after Aaron Jones and it's going to be Dylan because Jamal Williams is also a free agent. Um, it's probably going to be Dylan in the lead role. Uh, they might be able to bring back Williams on a cheaper deal, but he doesn't offer the same sort of upside as Jones. What do you feel? How do you feel about Jones leaving the the team? And what does that, how does that change the offense? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I, I guess it's going to, in some ways sort of justify the, the high draft capital spent on Dylan this past year. Uh Um, you know, if they're able to sign Jamal Williams, I, I won't feel bad about a Jamal Williams, um, A.J. Dillon backfield. Generally, I kind of, like I've, I've had Thor Nystrom of Roto World on my podcast before, and Thor has always said, like, you know, draft a lot of running backs, but never give one a second contract. So I'm going to miss Jones. Um, it was fun watching him evolve, and you know I, I understand that they're going to have to let him go, and they can't give him that big money. So, um, you know, I get that it's it's maybe going to be tougher to part ways with Lindsley, who's been so good, and and just you know that middle to left side of our offensive line with Lindsley Jenkins and Bakhtiari has just been yeah. so so good. Um, you know, it, it hurts to lose a piece that good. But, um, you know, all in all, I, I guess the free agency situation could be worse. But knowing that we're pretty snug against the cap, it's, it's you know, pretty clear we're not going to be able to retain those guys. Yeah, and free agency, 
uh, Gutenkunst uh, did pretty well, I would say. I mean, the Jimmy Graham deal probably wasn't great. Tremont Williams uh, in 2018, he let Jordy Nelson walk, which is probably the right decision that year. Um, 2019, he paid paid up big for Zadaria Smith and Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, and uh, Billy Turner. And I think all those contracts seemed justified at the time. I would say Preston Smith is not living up to his end of the bargain right now um, and would like to have that one back. He let uh, Mike Daniels, Jake Ryan, and Randall Cobb walk that year. Those are the main uh, guys that left. And then in 2020, Christian Kirksey didn't have a great season for us. Ricky Wagner was pretty solid uh, on the right side. And then Devin Funches signed for $2.5 million and opted out because of the uh, COVID uh season and then he let Blake Martinez who had a great year for the Giants Jimmy Graham which was the right decision and Brian Balaga uh, walk and I think Balaga got injured for the for the Cowboys if I'm remembering correctly so Chargers 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 that's right Chargers so the offensive line I think survived the loss of Balaga uh, and Wagner had a pretty good pretty good year so I, th- I would say free agency was he's done pretty well I don't know that they're going to have much maneuver maneuvering room to sign anyone at any point um, they're going to have to draft well, and they're going to have to get some more out of these young players that they drafted the last three years. So um, I don't know. It's one of these. This is the year I thought with with San Francisco uh, under you know having all those injuries on the defensive side of the ball and Garoppolo being out, and they're probably going to upgrade their quarterback situation. All those guys are going to come back healthy. I, I would expect the 49ers to be the favorites heading into the next season. Um, but you've you got Brady in the conference now. Um, so this was the, it was on the, it was on the plate for us to, to just needed to stick our fork in it and, uh, <laughs> keep saying us. Um, <laughs> so anything to wrap up the Packer discussion, anything you would like to, any final thoughts on that? No, I think that's about it. Uh, you know, hopefully the window can stay pried open for another year or two, but, uh, yeah, this one's, this one's going to sting. It was a good year to get it. Uh, like you said, we had handled COVID pretty well, which kind kind of an underrated part of this season, just not having any hiccups mm-hmm. with that, um, not having that be a distraction. And, the, you know, I think you do have to, like, sort of give a hat tip to the organization for that, um, to, you know, not let things get to the point of becoming a fiasco like it was and you know you would say that the ravens are a strong organization but they had all sorts of troubles handling covid so um yeah uh too bad it did seem like we had a uh, pretty clear runway to the super bowl and it just didn't happen man yeah i think with rogers the right thing to do for the franchise would be to sit him down and maybe mea culpa on the on the draft last year or at least on the first round pick and just admit a mistake um, and say, you are signed through 2023. We are committed to you through 2023 and perhaps longer if your play continues at the level, you know, at this sort of level and let's go win a Super Bowl. I think that's the way to approach it. And then if love develops, great, but the chances of him coming in and I don't know, 2022 and being, a quality starter and you're, you're saying sayonara to your franchise quarterback. I, I just don't think that's the right thing to do. And I, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I could sort of see it if he had a, another sort of sub Rogers year where he had 25 touchdowns and four interceptions and, 
a low yards per attempt and the team did okay, but it wasn't be- because of him, I could see you, okay, now we're, we're trying to find an off-ramp in the next year or two or three. But the year that he had, I, I cannot fathom why they'd be even thinking about moving on. So I'll leave it at that. Pat, let's provide some fantasy content 55 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> uh, let's talk early rankings. Uh, you can find my early rankings up on the website if you go under the rest of season rankings. Or there might be there might be a tab there for never too early rankings. So they are under. If you go under rankings and look at draft under never too early rankings, you can find them. Um, Pat's rankings are available at thefootballgirl.com. And uh, if you go to under fantasy, you go to rankings, you can find his uh, 2021 fantasy draft rankings. So I thought a good way, instead of like saying, oh, you've got this guy ranked here and I've got this guy ranked here and let's argue about it. I thought a good way to sort of approach it this early um, in the off season, not even yet off season, but getting there uh, was to basically just like say, look at each position and what do we, what do we think when we were ranking? Like what, let's say the quarterback position it's been deep for several years now do you see it as deep as it as it has been or is it this thing starting to thin out a little bit so i guess maybe and uh you know i since we went long on the packers maybe we're sort of uh you know we had talked about possibly doing some what i learned in 2020 discussion um uh-huh. and and maybe i well maybe i can just kind of roll that in here at the quarterback position like the one takeaway for me the big one from this past season was that I don't think the uh, weight on quarterback strategy is quite as viable as it used to be. I mean, we saw this year where like Philip Rivers fell into this nice groove over the last half of the season where it seemed like you could bank on him pretty much every week to have like 270, 280 yards and two touchdowns. Um, you know, which in the past, if, if you would have thought, wow, I could get Rod uh, Rivers this year is like, what, the, the QB 22 or something like that and get those mm-hmm. numbers every week. Like, yeah, I'll just wait on quarterback, load up in other positions. I'll be set. But those numbers were pretty consistently leaving Rivers like outside the QB one cut line on a weekly basis like that was QB 13 QB 14 most weeks like with the running quarterbacks we have now like there's a higher bar and like I don't think you can wait and just kind of take what the the room gives you the the Matt Ryans the Jared Goffs anymore I think you have to be a little bit more proactive to uh, keep up with the Joneses and not the Daniel Joneses that is at uh, quarterback and um you know, I, I do see going into next year, I, I see a pretty clear top 12, and I'm not sure I'd want to go past that. And the guy who's 13 for me right now is Joe Burrow. Like, he would be inside that cut line, except that his injury was so gruesome, I'm not sure he's going to be ready for week one. Um, I think I've got Ryan Tannehill at 12, and I've got Trevor Lawrence at 11. Um, you know, and, and beyond that QB1 cut line, it's like Burrow – Brady, who's going to be another year older, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford. And, um, you know, like I, I might be willing to be to let 10 other people take a quarterback before I take one, but I'm not going to be the guy who lets other people start picking backups before I take a quarterback next year. 
Okay, and I am looking at your rankings and looking at my rankings, and I don't have the rookies in the in the rankings yet, but um, I tend to agree with that. There are some players that are interesting in that second group of twelve. Um, you know, Stafford lands with a good team. Um, I think Cousins is solid, but unspectacular. Um, so I tend to agree with what you're saying there. Um, typically, I'm targeting that those guys in that 10 to 14 range and trying to be the last, second to last quarterback drafter in my league. Um, and I think I think Ryan Tannehill continues to be. Um, the loss of Arthur Smith is concerning to me, um, but he he just continues to be undervalued, and you know he finished top seven or eight this year, and has a good offense returning and good personnel returning. So um, interested to see if Corey Davis signs elsewhere, but uh, he's been excellent since he's taken over the starter at Tennessee. You got him at twelve, I've got him at ten, and you know you probably can get him uh, in the eighth, ninth round, tenth round, uh, you know in August. That's pretty good, and depending on Burrow. That gives you two guys that have top five upside that you can draft as the 12th or 13th quarterback off the board, and I think that's pretty solid uh, depth there for those that like to wait but maybe not wait as long as we have been in the past. I'm also interested in the, the Saints. Um, if Taysom Hill is the quarterback, I think he proved that he's fantasy-wise as a solid fantasy starter given all the rushing yards, and he proved himself fairly capable as a passer. Um, so I've got him at 18, but I just don't know what direction they're going to go at, at quarterback. So let's move on to the running back position. Did you have any takeaways there? Depth. I think this is the deepest I can recall running back being. Um, you know, last year I, I think everyone felt like you really wanted to get one of those top 10 or 12 and two of them if possible. And now, I mean, this this – Next year, we're going to go in with guys like, you know, I've got Miles Gaskin outside my top 20, who I like a lot, actually. I mean, he really impressed me this past year. And this is including, um, so I've got two rookies inside my top 24, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris. But still, I mean, that puts like Melvin Gordon at running back 25, uh, Mm -hmm. Ronald Jones at running back 27, Chris Carson, David Johnson, some viable options outside of RB2 territory. Um, and man, I mean, the arguments over some of these guys in the, uh, I mean, I think the top six or so is pretty clear, but like from seven to 20, the ordering of those guys is, they're going to be so many fluctuations. Like, and I know, I think no matter who I have at running back 18, 19, 20, I'm going to think is, you know, I've got too low, but then... I'm going to look at the guys above them and think, well, if I move them down there, they would be too low. Um, you know, I, I think you've got Cam Akers as a, a, a running back one. I can't argue with that um, inside your top 12. And I've got him right now at, I think, running back 17. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that definitely feels low. But, like, you know, I like I like J.K. Dobbins. I like James Robinson. I like Miles Sanders. It's It's – a deep group this year. One thing I wanted to do while we were talking about this is to talk about some of the free agents that are at each position and the quarterback's fairly easy. It's Dak Prescott's the headliner and you've got Mitch Trubisky, Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, etc. Uh, 
so I we'll, we'll see where these where he lands uh, in terms of Prescott, but there's going to be some quarterbacks moving around um, this year as well with the rookies coming in at running back. Aaron Jones, we mentioned, uh, Kenyon Drake, um, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Chris Carson, Phil Lindsay is restricted, uh, James White, Todd Gurley, and then guys like Mark Ingram, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breda, Mike Davis, Carlos Hyde. Uh, so things start to thin out there after the first handful of guys, but quite a few pretty good running backs in there coming off of their uh, first contract, 26-27, between, uh, I can't believe Todd Gurley's only 27. Um, Drake, Leonard Fournette, Connor, Jones, Carson, Lindsay, all 26, 27, uh, entering this free agent uh, class. I guess Lindsay is the restricted, so he's probably, I don't know what that means for him. Um, I would agree that it's pretty deep. I'm looking down into my, you know, like Dylan is a, is an interesting guy to rank right now. Cause we don't know who else is going to be there in that backfield. Yes. Chase at, like Chase Edmonds with Drake leaving really could find himself in a big role. Um, and then, as you mentioned, just a lot. I mean, David Montgomery's a top five fantasy running back. I've got him at 19 because I'm assuming Tariq Cohen's going to be back and he's going to be back to a timeshare. But, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's going to probably bounce back with, with Dak back under center, likely. Um, just a lot of talent. DeAndre Swift coming on, Gibson, Dobbins, uh, Edwards Hilaire. These guys are all probably going to be in 15 plus touch roles, uh, you know, adding them to this mix. Um, so I would agree. This might be a situation where you don't have to load up on uh, running backs first two or three rounds, and maybe you can get some good players in the fourth, fifth round maybe even later uh, this year. What about what about receiver? Yeah, so that, uh, what you were just saying, whereas you can wait a little bit, and it might be a good year to get one of those top receivers because I do start to lose confidence after maybe the top 7 to 9, 7 to 10 receivers, 7 to 11 maybe. Um you know, Adams, Tyreek Hill, Steph Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, Metcalf, Ridley, Justin Jefferson, real strong top seven, right? And then, you know, I've got Godwin, A.J. Brown, Michael Thomas, Allen Robinson, 8 to 11. And then maybe it drops off a little bit with, you know, Kenny Galladay being a bit of a wild card. I mean, I like Keenan Allen. Uh, you know, maybe I should probably include him. I like D.J. Moore, but... Uh, the rare instance where it seems like running back might be a little deeper at the upper reaches of the board than wide receiver is. I mean, certainly, you know, it's not like wide receiver is thin by any means, but, um, you know, once you get beyond the top, I don't know, 25 or so at wide receiver, like it's it's not... Um, the certainty maybe isn't quite what it was this year. I think a lot of people thought wide receiver was very deep in 2020 going in. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that I totally agreed with that, but I think it was probably deeper to me than it, than it looks for 2021. Yeah, I think it was deep in my opinion. And you're getting Keenan Allen in the fifth round and Lockett and 
Metcalf in some cases, and then Diggs is there in the sixth round. Um, these paid off handsomely. I think Will Fuller is another example, although he got suspended. Uh, sixth, seventh rounder available. I, I'm interested to see. Well, you, it struck me that interesting that you said that it wasn't as deep because I'm looking at getting into the 30s and 40s, and you still have some real world, you know, like Devontae Parker. You still have the Dolphins number one receiver. I have him at 39. Sterling Shepard at 37. Um, so I'm interested to see how the ADP shakes out and where some of these guys are available because we might might be singing a different tune. And if somebody, some of these players are available 7th, 8th round or even 5th, 6th for some of these players that are you know, heading into the season like Keenan Allen and uh, Stefan Diggs did last year. But the, the free agents this year... Um, I would say are headlined by uh, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson. Uh, I think those are probably the top three. Will Fuller maybe in the mix there. And then some value guys like uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Curtis Samuel, um, Corey Davis, T.Y. Hilton, uh, Marvin Jones getting a little bit older but still posted a great season, Uh, Nelson Aguilar, Richard Higgins. Uh, so those, you know, the, the merry-go-round and musical chairs and where these guys all land uh, will also shape these rankings as we get in, you know, further into the off season. But I, I'm looking at it like, let me look at where you have Ayuk. Where do you have him? Pretty high, I you think. At, yeah, you have him at 20. Hey. I have him at uh, 24. Um, like, he's probably going to go in the, what is he, like a fifth rounder to you? Is that probably where he's going to land? Yeah. Maybe fourth? Yeah. Um, and, and Ayuk might be a little I might be a little aggressive. If anything, I'm probably going to drop him down. Interesting. I had, I had a real difficult time sorting out, like, Ayuk, Lamb, and T. Higgins, uh, both in Dynasty mm-hmm. and, and Redraft. Like, those guys kind of all get lumped together. Um, the return of Kittle could be kind of a – I mean, Ayuk was really impressive this year and the, the targets he was getting. But obviously that was influenced by Kittle. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it. it I, I know it. I'll probably look at my board and say, I've got to do something with this because collectively I've got Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk ranked too high. And um, <laughs> They can't all be too and, high. Yeah, and John, j- just to clarify this, I, I guess what I meant about the depth, so is, like, I'm looking at guys in the in the 30s right now. Um, you know, so at a certain point, I, you lose maybe a little bit of confidence that this is someone you can trust in your starting lineup every week, and I kind of get that get to that point even maybe in the late 20s with like you know juju let's see where he lands uh you know cooper cup okay maybe he's not that great he was kind of quiet at the end of the year tyler lockett what happened to him down the stretch uh can i trust antonio brown in 2021 um you know is is jerry judy on the verge of being great or is he gonna need more time uh, you know, Marquise Brown, who had kind of a schizophrenic first half, second half. Uh, Odell Beckham off the injury. Robbie Anderson, who kind of went belly up towards the end of the season. So a lot of guys who, like the names are pretty good, and guys who have 
definitely had some nice runs in either 2020 or 2019 or whatever, but can they be completely trusted guys who also disappeared for stretches? So I see a lot of guys like that. And, uh, you know, it might not be that hard to build a depth at wide receiver, but the, um, you know, the, the starter bench guy break point seems kind of squishy to me when I look at this board. All right. Well, it's plenty, it's early and there's plenty of time for us to, <laughs> digest this these rankings but uh moving on to tight end um your top five you've got kelsey kittle waller andrews hawkinson i have kelsey waller kittle andrews hawkinson so we're pretty close there goddard we both see um having a breakout season likely with Ertz gone uh i've got tunyon at uh seven you've got him at nine noah fan kaseki are the next two for me as well um so, normally we've, I don't know, I, in my experience, you know, especially in the FFPC where you're getting tight end premium numbers, I'm trying to, I'm trying to take Kelsey in the first round. Paid off again this year. Um, although, if I, if I see a tight end that is a fantastic value, uh, like Delani Walker was when he was in Tennessee, and he was going in the, like the 8th to 10th round every year, um, then I will kind of build my draft with the expectation that I'm going to draft him in the eighth round. Do you see any players like that, that you think will jump out? Are you going to be an early tight end guy? Or are you going to be a middle round, late round guy this year? Yeah, this, I guess I'm still kind of trying to figure out my tight end strategy. And like, do we talk ourselves into the idea that tight end is deep again, John? Because it seems like we try to go through that exercise every year and we always disappoint ourselves. Like, you know, hey, what if what if Kyle Pitts makes a big splash as a rookie? What if Gronk has one more decent year? What if, uh, you know, Cole Komets turns into a tight end one? Um, you know, because you can go down to, to almost – tight end I, I think I've got Hunter Henry ranked as a tight end too and Gronk and um you know when guys look decent outside the top 12 you maybe start thinking it is deep but um but man I mean it's just the the miss rate at the position is so high and uh you know we said again this year with Zach Ertz um coming in as what the consensus tight end three and just mm-hmm. um imploding basically i mean i know he missed time but like he was bad before he got hurt um you know part of that was quarterback but i don't think Ertz was very <laughs> i don't think he'd tell you he had a good year um so yeah it's gonna be interesting like i i in some ways i think you could make the case that Kelsey could be inside the top half of the first round and you could justify it. Um, Part of me wants to think that maybe because of circumstances with guys like Ertz disappearing, Kittle getting hurt, that that sort of enhanced the view of Kelsey for this year, that Mm -hmm. his great season became that much more valuable. Um, You know, and there's always that opportunity cost of taking a tight end in the first round especially if it's not a tight end premium format so it's going to be interesting to see how people tackle that position this year for sure yeah and that might be a uh something that happens or is affected by running back being fairly deep you know maybe 
owners feel more comfortable taking a Kelsey at the one-two turn um, because they know that the, they can get some good running backs maybe at that at that uh, four-five or three-four turn or um, five-six turn. So, and that—that's uh, the thing, John. You want—you wonder if you can even get Kelsey on the turn this year because when people look at that running back depth, maybe they're going to say, "Okay, like I can get my running back." second yep. round I could go second and fourth and running back still get a receiver at you know a decent receiver in the third round and get Kelsey at what 106 107 yeah so maybe I, um I think certainly in tight end premium he's going to be an early first round pick but I wonder you know with kill coming back theoretically uh Waller posting another great season if in Goddard and then you got some guys like Gasicki Noah Fant, these young, super athletic yes. um, guys that are ascending that people talk themselves into um, mid to late round tight ends as well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because there's, you know, Tanya and Gesicki, Fant, Hunter Henry still with a good quarterback there for the Chargers. I, I still have him at 10. Logan Thomas um, could have another good year if they upgrade the quarterback position. Uh, Irv Smith. If he, I don't know if Rudolph, I think Rudolph is signed for another year, but Smith really coming on, Komet coming on and then fading a little bit at the end of the year. I'm still high on Blake Jarwin uh, coming back off his injury. Hayden Hurst had a top 10 year. Jenny Smith had a top 10 year. And I've got him at 17. So, and that's not even, I haven't even talked about Evan Ingram or Zach Ertz, wherever he lands. So, you, we're talking you ourselves. Are, we're talking well, ourselves you can into it being deep, right? <laughs> yeah, you can say it's deep. But you, you can say it's deep, and you've got intriguing guys, but these are not going to be dependable. These are these guys are probably not going to be dependable starters for you. There's only a handful of those every year at the tight end position. Um, but I'm just I had pulled up the rest of or the the final final uh, fantasy points for the position, and as much as we are kind of bagging on the fact that there was, you know, people that are saying that there's depth. I mean, Robert Tanyan finished third, so you could, probably could have had him off the waiver wire. Logan Thomas, sixth. Uh, he was a very late-round pick if he was even being drafted. Uh, Gesicki probably was in the eighth to tenth range. Gronkowski, same thing. But even guys that had Gesicki, Gronkowski, Hayden Hurst, Janu Smith, they were not feeling great about starting those players. Like they were just getting by, I think, at the tight end position. Whereas those of us that had Kelsey or Waller were really <laughs> it's great having one of those guys that's putting up twenty uh week to week at the tight end position because you just you have such an advantage over the rest of the, the league. Right. Yeah, uh, those guys were just a huge leg up. I mean, this was a great year to have Kelsey or Waller. Just, uh, you know, watching your competition struggle to <laughs> fill that position with, a, a you know, some sort of credible point score every week, and, and you're just getting this windfall consistently week after week from those guys. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Smith, who's a player that I like, not as big of a part of the offense as I was hoping he would be and a lot of that went to Corey Davis and Corey Davis is a free agent um, but Janu finished 10th and he had less than half the points of Kelsey um, so and he scored 100 points fewer than Waller in half PPR so you're, you're just running him out there and you're hoping he's 
scores a touchdown. <laughs> Whereas Kelsey, Kelsey, you're banking six to eight catches a game. Uh, or maybe Waller is scoring 25 for you in the in the semifinal. So uh, I I love drafting tight ends early, and especially when they pan out, because, you know, if you're sitting there with Ertz or, I mean, Andrews was finished fifth, but didn't feel like he had the year that you were hoping from him. Um, if he had played a full season, he probably, it looks like he would have finished uh, third. So I guess it's a fair fair draft value for him. But you just love having that advantage at tight end because a lot of these guys, they, they seem appealing and they're like good players, but they're just not the focus of the offense like Kelsey Waller are. Right. That's a good way to put it. I mean, look for the guys who are focal points in their team's offenses and, uh, you know, just a handful of guys like that at tight end, less than a handful. Yeah, and even, even Waller, we headed into the season saying, wow, what a great breakout season, but they added – rugs they added brian edwards and the thinking was that and they were talking about getting josh jacobs more involved as a receiver and the thinking was that his targets were going to be pinched and his targets actually increased so i think he is now in that in that conversation of top two or three uh tight ends that you can draft in the first three rounds and and feel pretty good about the position so all right pat i appreciate it we we went over 20 minutes but uh, the those those people out there looking for some fantasy content got 25 minutes of fan, early fantasy rankings um, and then the, the other 55 minutes of Packer talk. I appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast. Well, it was great being on with you, John. And uh, geez, I've got this whole box of tissues here next to me expecting <laughs> to use half of it at least, you know, crying my eyes out. Really, I've only just dabbed at one of my eyes during this. So, uh, you know, this has been cathartic. It's helped me already. It's always good to talk about your uh, your problems, and one of our problems this week was watching that game, and I think we'll survive. I'm, I don't know how eager I am to watch the Super Bowl. Um, it, while I have you, do you have a, a Super Bowl pick? Who are you rooting for? What do you think? the you have, a, you have a bet that you like or anything like that? Oh, man, I, I have not dug in. Like, I know I'm going to bet it. I haven't picked a side yet. Part of me thinks it's just maybe it is. Gee, maybe this is Tom Brady's year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it just seems like maybe it is destiny for the Buccaneers this year. And I hate to say it, I, I won't be cheering for them. No offense, I, I know some Buccaneers fans. You know, nothing against the franchise, but. Uh, you know, I, I do know a few more Chiefs fans. My dad used to live in Kansas City, so uh, you know, I'll be I'll be pulling Chiefs regardless of how I bet it. How about you? Do you have an early uh, leaning here? Uh, I mean, maybe I'm just bitter, but uh, I don't see the Bucks keeping pace with the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs would have probably beat the Packers, or it would give them, you know, uh, it would, they would have had to have played a bad game for the Packers to beat them. Um, so I, I think the Chiefs will cover. I think that they're going to go super pass heavy. Uh, if you look at the player props for the for the Chiefs, even the or even the Bucks, uh, I think they're both too low on all the passing attempts and yards and everything. I think, uh, I mean, the, the the Chiefs attempted 50 passes out of 70 plays in the in the earlier meeting, and that they led that whole game the game the whole way. So I don't see any reason why they won't come out very pass heavy understanding that they're going to have trouble running the ball on the Bucks, uh, and where the, the weakness is for the, for the Bucks is in the secondary. 
So as long as they can protect Mahomes decently, um, I, I expect the Chiefs to win and just put up huge, huge passing numbers in this game. Uh, and I think Brady will have to do the same if, he, if they want to keep pace. So I'm expecting a fairly high-scoring game. It is the, I mean, the line is 56, so it's already up there, but um, certainly a lot more pass than than run in this one. I don't think it's going to be even close to a normal game. Um, for, even for the Chiefs, I think they're going to go pass-heavy against the Bucks. I do agree with that. I mean, the, the Bucks' run D is fantastic. I mean, the, the Packers – two games could not run on the box and you know the Packers have a better running game than the Chiefs do so I agree I, I do think the Chiefs will be very tilted toward the pass and I think Andy Reid realizes that it's just a negative EV move to run the ball at all so I would they might have a couple if if the if the Bucks start running dime defense out there on uh, base defense but uh, I, I, I just don't see it I think it's going to be a lot of passes and we saw what Tyree Kill did against them uh, in the last game. So with that, uh, I don't know when we'll be back, uh, with, with more podcasts, probably, uh, into the spring. I might do another one with Anthony here, kind of a wrap up of 2020, but, uh, thanks to everybody who listened this year. And, uh, thanks for Pat for coming on. Uh, you could find him at, at Fitz underscore FF on Twitter. Uh, so we'll see you next time on the 444's most accurate podcast.